0: cinema is sponsored by overcast an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down no exclusives no premium content no paywalls just a great podcast app for everyone get it for free in the app store and we thank them for their support Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. My name is Matt
1: Kay, and with me is Ryan, the movie guy, and sitting behind the glass is producer Pat. Hey guys, how's it going? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we celebrate the year in film 2019. Yeah. with part one of our top 10 list. Light the fireworks, Ryan. It's Happy New Year time jawheads who have been listening for a long time know that we have one guest in particular that comes back. The only guest you can actually have to do a top 10 list justice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Brian Tallarico is back for his umpteenth time. I will have to ask him how many it is. President of the CFCA, editor of RogerEbert.com, contributor at New York Times and Vulture, among other things. He's an
1: amazing guy. Happy to have him back. Yes, I can't wait to talk to Brian. Uh, Always fun. And he's joining us. You know, guys are very busy. He's very, very busy. He's a busy man. He's joining us for a two parter. This is part one, and he'll also be back next week for part two of the Top 10 List.
0: This is good. This is good. Uh, we, we're giving you a little extra helping of Cinema Jaw to get you through the
1: holidays, everybody. I agree. Besides that, we have more going on, don't we, Pat? <laughs>
2: Yeah, we actually don't have eye for an eye this week uh, because we are doing the top 10 of the year. Nice.
0: But we do have a review of Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Wow. Wow. That's going to be a big review, Matt. It's a huge one. Yeah.
1: And in honor of Rise of the Skywalker or Skywalker, we're doing some trivia. Star Wars actor movie trivia. Oh, I think maybe I stand a chance. Of all of the Star Wars, so, uh, you know, we we got somewhat of a universe here. The
0: entire saga, okay. Mm.
1: But I think Brian is undefeated against you. I believe that is correct.
0: Well, I mean, I just read his credentials. I I would hope that he can trounce a guy like me.
2: (laughs) We'll see, though.
1: Now, it is Star Wars month here on Cinema Jaw. so before we bring Brian in, do we have a Star Wars fact, Pat?
2: Uh, Yes, we do, Ryan. So, this week's Star Wars fact... The famous floating text that opens A New Hope may have been one of the greatest special effects achievements in the film. The text was filmed practically by carefully placing two 2 foot wide die cut yellow letters over a six foot long black paper background with a camera making a slow pass over them to mimic the crawl. What's now a default option on filmmaking software took LucasArts three hours to capture.
0: That's, That's incredible. That is
3: incredible. I, actually I had no did idea. not know that. I didn't know that. Can that I is... talk yet? I didn't know. I it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite, like special effects of all time. Picturing all these people like filming words that then be changed movie history. Right. It's
0: incredible. On a movie that every by all accounts was just some B movie from yeah. a no name. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. as he pointed out, it's like a
3: Font now on Word. And yeah. they, they like, I could create that crawl. You probably on paint. find an app. <laughs> right, Apps exactly. It, yes. But they literally filmed printed letters, which is incredible.
1: That yeah. is nuts. Speaking of incredible, Brian Tellerico making his return, his triumphant return to Cinema Jack, I, I believe I'm like 45 and 0 in trivia, and Star Wars trivia makes me a little nervous. Does it? <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> so, truth be told, since it's a two-parter, gonna be, um, two parter, there's going to be two. Bouts of trivia. And uh, Matt asked me. Matt asked me, can you at least give me a chance and make it a topic that I have a fighting chance yeah. to get Brian? Is the second one so, Marvel? I'm very nervous. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Okay. But Brian, welcome back to Cinema Job. Thank Jow. you. Always enjoy. How has 2019 been for you?
3: Good. Good. Yeah. It's been a crazy busy year, but it's been a good year. And for film, I think it's been a very good year, which we'll get into. So I agree. Excellent year. Actually. Really one of the strongest in a long time. Mm.
1: It was uh, everything going great over there at Roger Ewa. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, very good. In fact, uh, I think I can say that we have a redesign that we've been working on for a while, and so we'll have a new launched site in the relatively near future. That's exciting. Yeah, good. Uh, it's been a lot of work, but uh, very rewarding and some things I think people will be really
1: excited about. So you also cover television. I do. Right? A lot of TV. Critic at, not only for film, but television.
3: Right. At, at Vulture, I, that's almost ex- exclusively what I do.
1: So since we don't get a chance to talk much TV, rapid yeah. fire, since we're at the oh, end of Lord. the decade, putting you on the spot oh. here, do you, do you remember your top 10 television shows of the decade? Mm-hmm. Or if not, the year.
3: Do you have the year? The year is when they see us, Watchmen, Barry, Fleabag... Don't remember. Decade, Allison Shoemaker and I, who's our other TV critic, did like a composite list. And I know our top five was The Americans, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, The Leftovers, Fleabag.
0: That makes Uh, sense. Interesting to hear Watchmen on that list, though.
3: For me this year, for sure. Uh, uh, When They See Us, I think is a landmark breakthrough event. And otherwise it would be Watchmen, which I also think is... Like really remarkable television. Have you
1: seen Watchmen?
0: I have not, but I'm going to now. Um, I'm a huge fan of the comic, the original graphic novel. Drop
3: in. Uh, Also, I haven't. You're a huge fan of the source material. I have a massive grew every week feature on Vulture that ties in all the Easter eggs from the show to the source material. They're like where it references directly the source material. And also I think it does exact, I'm a huge fan of the source material too. I think it does exactly what Moore and Gibbons were trying to do for a modern era. Uh, I think it's in many ways smarter and
0: better. Yeah. Wow! I actually prefer the ending of the film to the ending of the comic with the giant what alien uh, Watchmen. No, what film? <laughs> oh come on! Really? I like. The oh, movie. I love it. Um quick question though. Uh, uh, back in television, uh, I've only seen the first episode, Mandalorian.
3: I'm uh, mixed. Um, I like some of what it's trying to do. I think the weekly adventure idea is was a mistake. They should have uh, just dumped it. No. Everyone keeps comparing it to samurai and Western stuff, which are huge influences. But that requires stakes. So th- you've only seen the first. You've just basically episode one. S- You've basically seen every episode. Every episode is he goes off, has to fight someone, and then it ends, and then they move on to something else. Like there's no, there's not enough connective tissue. There's not enough stakes. Like there's not enough reason to care. Is um, it a
0: slow burn? You think we'll no, get to that?
3: No, I think it's just an episodic. Mm. Like it's 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 almost a, in, which is again an old-fashioned storytelling format. where Trying to do a serial, but a serial in today's market. It kind of becomes the law of diminishing returns less satisfying. I think episode four, which was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, is actually really strong. But other than that, I kind of, I don't care.
1: I'm on much. board with it. I'm, I'm okay More with than the, me? the serial. Yeah. Well, you see I, what I'm saying yeah, about... I don't love it. I've seen every episode. There's I don't love it. little reason to it, care. But I, I, I enjoy... Just sure. being able to watch that 40 minutes of that little Star oh, Wars adventure. And then as that's it.
3: someone who reviews TV and it's all like 60 to 70 minutes long, the 34 to 40 minute Mandalorians are wonderful. <laughs> like I They're like very the nice concise. little compact yeah. little adventures. But you know what I mean about Four, which was the one with the farm community? Where it felt like that as a standalone little piece had like stakes, mm-hmm. had something to be care to care about to be concerned about whereas i've kind of lacked that otherwise like we keep meeting new people and then they disappear like i want more Werner herzog i want something i i I, to be honest i'm actually someone who we're getting way off track here but i miss old episodic television i miss x-files that could do standalone adventures i miss this i miss before everyone said no we're just making a 13 episode movie i hate that I miss episodic TV, but this is almost too much in the other direction. I want like something mm-hmm. to keep me connected, other than Baby Yoda. Just Baby Yoda, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: interesting.
0: Very interesting.
1: Um, well, we got a lot to cover here. Yeah, we so do. again, for the jawheads that want to read your reviews, where would you guide them online to find out all things? RogerEbert.com.
3: You click on contributors, you'll find a page of all my stuff, or just find. Re- I, I always have a review on the front page. You click on my name, you'll find all my stuff. Uh, Vulture. Same thing. There's usually something on the front page, and if you click on it or search my name, you can find an archive of all my stuff.
1: And, and you're you're a great Twitter. What's oh, not yeah, downplay it? So Brian you
3: underscore Tallerico. I yes, I self promote like crazy. Brian underscore, Talarico, B-R-I-A-N underscore Tallerico. B r i a n underscore T a l l e
0: r i c o. And we'll put a link in the show notes, as always. We will. No eye
1: for an eye this week, Matt. Oh, disaster. And do you know why? Outrage. Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. 42 years, three trilogies, and hundreds of memorable movie-going moments.
3: 42 years.
1: We have reached the end of the Skywalker saga. J.J. Abrams steps back into the director's seat to close out this final chapter. With the series so beloved as Star Wars, could he possibly pull it off and please everyone? Difficult task for sure. Matt, Brian, and I got on our speeders and headed off to that galaxy far, far away to check it out.
3: I waited.
2: And now. You're coming together. Is your undoing. What, uh. What are you doing
3: there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir. At my friends.
1: As heard in the trailers, Emperor Palpatine is back. His voice has been heard, but no one knows where he's at. However, Kylo Ren finds a Wayfinder that maps out just that. Meanwhile, our heroes, Rey, Finn, Poe, are on a rebel base training and regrouping. They have a spy in the First Order that has given them some much-needed information. Ray figures out that Luke Skywalker was trying to find the only other Wayfinder in the galaxy. If they can find that, well, then they can bring the fight to the Emperor and his new fleet of Star Destroyers. Thus, our group of Rebels head out to pick up where Luke left off. A dagger is found, C-3PO's memory goes, Lando comes back, Ray and Kylo talk and fight through the Force, with everything eventually leading to an epic showdown. Do we get answers? Yes. Are they answered in the perfect way? Perhaps not. As a critic, I hate reviewing the Star Wars films. It is the only series, only series, where I feel I'm a fan first. So I'm going to speak as a Star Wars fan that I am. I felt satisfied with Rise of Skywalker. I would have liked some more emotional, quieter moments to have a bit more time, but it seemed the film had so much to get to that everything had to be done quickly. We're going to break this film down some more, but I start with this simple question to Brian and Matt. Do you feel that J.J. Abrams stuck the landing?
0: I feel he absolutely stuck the landing. This is not an easy thing to pull off. In fact, a great analogy for this film is a scene in the movie itself where Rey is meditating. She's using the force to have like a sort of a Venn diagram of boulders circling her body and almost like a like a, a, an atomic nucleus, uh, you know, those old cartoons, and that's exactly what JJ was doing. He's, he's trying to juggle all these things while using the force to keep all these balls in the air. And yeah, he, stu- he stuck the landing. It, uh, it could have easily been a disaster and unsatisfying. I agree with you. Satisfying, I agree with you. You can't please all the people all the time. And this was a tall order.
3: I have a better in-movie analogy. Go uh, for it. When Kylo puts his mask back together and they say, hey, you can still see the cracks. It was broken once, and now you can still see the cracks. That's this. The mask is there. It's back together, but you can still see a lot of the cracks where it's not quite what it should have been or could have been. It's not ambitious. It's it's familiar. It's something we've seen before with a lot of red lines through the middle it's of it. It's definitely not ambitious. Uh, it's not ambitious. It A lot is going to be written about. The first thing I tweeted was the opinion is going to be shaped – about the fact that he made a sequel to his movie instead of Ryan's movie. You could almost skip Ryan's movie entirely. You might wonder what happened to Luke, but other than that, you wouldn't miss much. You, and, and as someone who watched Force and Jedi the day before I saw Skywalker, I, you really could go from Force to Skywalker and not lose a whole lot. Now, the critics of Jedi will say that's because he didn't do anything, because he didn't move the plot forward, and, this is, and J.J. is all plot where Ryan is no plot. So that's the argument to make there. But I would also argue that he, he and other people involved were trying to satisfy a fractured fan base, put the mask back together, do lots of really familiar, nostalgic things. I mean, and to be honest, the movie relies more on you having seen the original trilogy than Last Jedi. It really does. And I'm not sure I'm willing to say something is satisfying when it completely ignores the last film in the franchise but, and I don't want to relitigate Last Jedi. We've done that a thousand times as a culture. But I'm not sure... And maybe this is just a product of a disjointed, rushed, definitely rushed production process where we have three films that don't really necessarily cohere.
1: Yeah, and that's where I was actually going... I if I was going to put the blame on anybody because there's you know you got the, the Last Jedi haters out there um, and you got the ones that really defend the film... But if I was going to put the blame, it's not on Ryan Johnson or J.J. Abrams. It's that the plan when they made these three wasn't cohesive enough. Right. Because what Ryan Johnson was doing and what J.J. Abrams was doing was so different. Very. That well, how could they get it done in a third film? I mean, it's it it was already they were behind the eight ball. Watching
3: the three of them in roughly twenty-eight hours, it's remarkable. How much Ryan's film is about destroying the sacred texts and getting rid of the image and, and all of that. Whereas J.J.'s like, I love the sacred texts. All I want is Ewoks and nostalgia and Death Stars and Chewbacca and yeah. everything else. Like, they are completely different visions. And so, OK, but once we get past that, once we get the idea, I, some people have said he retcons Last Jedi. I don't think he completely retcons Last Jedi. I think he ignores it, which is different than retconning. He doesn't go back and change it. He just pretends it kind of didn't really happen. Right. Luke, Luke, Luke uh, even says, I was wrong at one point in the movie. I, that's a joke, right? the, the I don't want to spoil anything here. But the, the first scene we see him in is supposed to be kind of played for laughs because of the way people responded to the other one? I'm not sure. Mm. I don't know. I don't know either. And if it's supposed to be taken seriously, I, I might have bigger sincere. problems. Oh. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um. I do think the first hour is clunky as hell. I think a lot of it is, we need to go here and find this and do that, and then here's who we'll meet there, and here's who they are, and here's some history on them. He's trying to cram like what he would have done in movie two into the first hour of movie three. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that, and that is a mess. Yeah, I think the mid-section of the film... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah,
1: I was going to jump in on that point. We were talking about ranking the films, and we were talking about my, my issues with Revenge of the Sith, and I, I said in that one, it didn't have any big... Uh, set piece action moment that the Star Wars is so great at—be sure. uh, it the the attack on Hoth or the Pod Race or whatever. As you go through the, the pod series, Pod Race,
0: bad example, but go Revenge on. Revenge
1: of the Sith did not have it, and either did Rise of Skywalker. Oh, in, in the beginning, I needed in the something. beginning, sure, it, but, it rushed too but much,
0: but it gets
3: there. We get to the big uh, like celebration scene that then moves to that chase that's supposed to recall Return of the Jedi through mm-hmm. the canyon which looks really good and, and has the colorful bright choreography and it's really well done and then there's a few sequences there like the Carrie Russell Zuri thing that, that whole planet everything over there I found interesting and I found the big water lightsaber battle really well organized Loved it. executed and, and it, right. it looked beautiful right mm-hmm. so there's a middle hour of this film that I would agree works I think the first hour and then the end where it's all kind of just as loud as it could possibly be. Because I feel like in that last sequence, I feel the desperation. I feel the like, man, we really need to nail this. We need to make all those last Jedi haters happy and we need to do X, Y, and Z. And whenever you can feel that kind of desperation, it's the magic and the wonder is gone. When you can feel the plotting of the producers and the company, then the the magic isn't gonna be there anymore. I said in my review, It's enjoyable, like a roller coaster is enjoyable. But when you get on a roller coaster, you can see the beginning and you can see the end and you can see all the hills. There's no surprises in it. And so satisfying, I'm not sure. I need a little surprise every now and then to be truly satisfied. That's
0: interesting.
1: Mm. Um, Some positives that I had here, see if you guys agree. I love how they were able to use Carrie Fisher in this movie. I wasn't sure she was going to be in it as much as she was. And I thought if she was, it may be distracting to me. And it wasn't at all. I don't know if they filmed a lot of that prior gotta, to.
3: Got to disagree there a little bit because I feel I was like, okay with it. I think she's fine, but I think, and again, we need a spoiler-heavy discussion of this film. I'm trying to figure out how to say this, there's certain parts of her character that I felt were underdeveloped. There's a there's a sequence in particular that we can maybe talk about off air, that I feel like I could tell they couldn't figure out how to reconstruct after she died, that like just didn't work. Um, a sequence where they bring in somebody else. Mm-hmm. Do we know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I can't talk around this without <laughs> spoiling something. My, but my point is I could I felt the loss more than you maybe mm. because it was very clearly supposed to be a Han movie, a Luke movie, a Leia movie. Right. Like That was the design from the very... In fact, that may have been the only design from the very beginning based on how they screwed everything up. And so they couldn't do the Leia movie. And I feel like there's a major moment in this film that needs to be Leia and it's not.
1: Mm. So um, The other positive that I had here was the lightsaber battle on... The, basically, the piece of Death Star That's that is laying in sequence. there was probably my favorite part of the entire film.
0: I like that sequence quite a bit. It's breathtaking, no doubt about it. Um, very very difficult to detract, except for this. You, you see some ruins in yes. the water. Yes. We, can, yes. we can edit around that. <laughs> and um, these massive 30, 40-foot waves, I mean, I've, we've never seen an ocean like that on planet Earth. It is a death sentence. It's something
1: right. out of Interstellar. Right. right. Mm. right. So, you great know,
0: th- obviously they can't get across. But Rey, she can't wait till the next day when the waters are calm. And she takes a a skiff or whatever and goes across the waves. But Rey is a Jedi. And she has the Force. And, and, you know, she gets across. I like a lot of that sequence. That's fine. But Mm -hmm. then Finn is able to follow her. No problem. They had to give Finn something to do. Yeah, This yes. movie
3: sidelines Finn in major disappointing ways. Mm,
0: they really didn't. It, yeah, And uh, and so they
3: had to figure out a way to get him in.
1: And talk about sidelining. How about Rose? Uh, oh, uh, big one. They muted her completely.
3: It's really depressing. Wow. Especially if you factor in how Finn is sidelined as well. Mm-hmm. If we want to get into the racial politics that divided the last film and now... This one, it's not good. Yeah, there's already people a little upset about that. That whole sequence is really well done. It's really well executed. JJ knows how to do big sequences, and I actually, a lot of my critic friends don't agree with this. I think JJ is good with performers. I think Daisy is better in this film than she's been in the other. I two. agree with that. I think Adam does a very good job. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I think I, I think Oscar does a very good job. I think he knows how to work with the cast in ways that maybe even Ryan didn't. I don't think Ryan knew what to do. I think. Poe in Last Jedi is actually the biggest flaw in that film. I think they forced that character to do things that Poe wouldn't otherwise do, and Oscar looks uncomfortable in all those holode scenes because that's not really that character. But that's my minority opinion, maybe. But my point is, here, we get the playful, fun, Han Solo-ish Poe Dameron back from the first movie, uh, and he's great, and Daisy's great. And it's Daisy's movie, for the record. Mm-hmm. Once they figured out it couldn't be Leia's movie, they decided to make it Daisy's movie. Although maybe, I think it probably would have always been both. Both of theirs. Mm-hmm. The same way that the first movie is Han and Kylo, and the second movie is Luke and Ray, I guess.
0: Luke or and also Kylo. Luke and dismantling
3: all of your
1: dreams of Star Wars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you had an interesting question uh, for me during the. Oh yeah, we- Last Jedi was in your top ten two years ago. Have you yeah. changed? No.
3: Okay, good. You I tweeted like... something, but maybe I was just misreading it.
0: Well, I mean, I've definitely taken into consideration a lot of opinions that uh, have detracted from The Last Jedi. But I still think I enjoy it maybe better than this one.
3: Oh, it's the best of the three. I don't even think it's close. Really? Yeah. Uh, Because it's got the most ambition and because it's got the most artistic integrity. And your podcasters are unsubscribing right (laughs) now. (laughs) I'm sorry to do this to both of you. Watch it again. Try to divest yourself from what it's doing to your childhood from a pure... Filmmaking standpoint, from a pure use of color and light and sound yes, and visual and composition, I agree with that. it doesn't even come close.
1: I'm not a big fan of the overall Fine. plot and the idea of filmmaking. The film. Right.
3: Is remarkable. Uh, like just the lightsaber fights, the the scene in Snoke's th- throne is room. insane. I love it. It's insane. The Star uh, Destroyer yeah. jumping. So let's divest ourselves from what it did to our childhood for a second and just look at what it does in filmmaking terms, and it's remarkable. Mm. And, and I miss that ambition. J.J. knows how to, like I said, create a thrill ride, but films should be a little more unpredictable than roller coasters.
1: So our final thoughts on Rise of Skywalker. How many Jaws here, Matt?
0: Three and a half. Ooh,
3: it's, it's out of what? Four. It's out of four. Brian? Two and a half on the record. I'm right in the middle. Three Jaws. Three Jaws. And to be honest, I'm higher. You guys are way higher. I'm higher than a lot of people. I, th- I think, like I said, that midsection is really entertaining, and the action stuff is entertaining. And I-, I said also in my review, if you get a little chill from that certain John Williams composition, if you get excited going back yeah. to the Death Star. I like all that. I do. I think I called it easily digestible paste which is fine sometimes. <laughs> That's what we
1: want. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I read, you know, one critic said, it's Star Wars and we're meant to argue about these things. And that is somewhat true, but right? that used to be the case? I, I don't feel like... Oh, I think if Return of the Jedi ca- oh. came out now with Twitter and the way we're analyzing the films. The Ewok memes would be insane. It would, it, it would have, we would have crushed that movie. We would have hated that movie. I don't think so. Twitterverse would have crushed it. Yes. Uh, yeah.
3: it's, it's, to, to be honest, they have a lot in common. They're both like, tying up loose ends that don't necessarily need to be
0: tied up. But I also don't love Jedi.
1: Maybe we should move on. Yeah. <laughs> you got a movie poster <laughs> quote for me, Matt?
0: Yeah. And J.J. sticks the landing, and he didn't even have to force it. Not bad. Uh, you have to get a force.
3: I
1: went with uh, Episode Nine rises to the occasion.
3: Okay, Brian. I, I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> uh, digestible paste. There you go. <laughs> I like
1: it. So again, Matt K. Three and a half. Rye, the movie guy. Three jaws. Brian Talarico. Two and a half jaws for Rise of Skywalker. I'm sure you guys have seen it, so please write us feedback at CinemaJot.com. Let us know your thoughts on the last. Star Wars film that has to do with the Skywalker saga. You think so? I'm not sure. No, ten years down the line. Like, yeah. what are we talking about? Right. We're gonna have the
3: young Luke adventures oh, yeah. in like <laughs> five years on Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded dramatic. It's Not the last. I was anything. going
1: for dramatic. Okay. All right, Matt. And this year on Cinema Jaw, we decided to break our top ten into two parts. So right now, Jawheads, you're gonna hear our ten through six. Yeah. Exciting stuff. It is great year for cinema. Yeah. We like to let our guests get started here. And I I ask you, was this an easy list for you to compile? You you keep a running list throughout the year. Is that what you do?
3: I do, but I adjust regularly and all like just consistently. You vote Uh, early uh, and often. Yeah. I I have a thing on the top that says this list will be subject to change consistently because I rewatch, I reconsider, things move up in memory. Like it's not final, it's not even final now. Like, I've gone back and adjusted previous years, so it's always kind of in flux. But yeah, just to keep, because I see so much, just to kind of keep track of things, I do it throughout the year. I, I mean, I don't get started immediately. In like, March or April, I'll like, say, okay, where are we at,
0: mm-hmm. and then I'll start. And running. you do this on uh, Letterboxd, yep. public. Letterboxd,
3: so. it's public. Uh, my name, search my name. Thanks. I actually have like, almost as many followers there as I do Twitter, so.
1: It's wow. a great, it's a great yeah. site, so. All right, here we go. Ready to kick this thing off, Matt? I'm ready. Brian, your number oh, I'm 10 first. of 2019.
3: Um, hmm. I have a good amount of what I would call personal films in my top 10, and this is the first of those. Uh, it's a film from one of my favorite filmmakers, a Spanish filmmaker uh, who made has made his a number of personal films recently, but I feel like this is the most personal in terms of where he's at in his life now, and using an actor he's worked with for a very long time, and I think Ryan knows what this is, it's Pain and and Glory, which is an amazing film from Pedro Almodovar. Uh, And the fact that this is my 10 is indicative of this year. I've actually looked at recent years where I feel like Pain and Glory would be in my top five. Like, that's how strongly I feel about this film and this year overall. Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory is insanely great. He gives one of those incredible performances where... Literally no one else could give this performance because no one else knows Pedro like he knows him. He's a surrogate for Pedro to do a story of it, just in case listeners aren't familiar. It's about a director kind of looking back, uh, figuring out how he became creative, how he got to where he is now um, through an episodic sort of storytelling structure, but one that has an amazing cumulative power. I think the final shot of Pain and Glory might be my favorite final shot of the year. And it's Antonio Banderas' best performance. And Penelope Cruz is incredible in it too. Again, someone who knows Pedro very well, who's worked with him a bunch. How do you ask someone to play your mother? Mm -hmm. It's someone he's worked with for a very long time in flashbacks. And she's been incredibly underrated this season. I thought you'd get a supporting actress nomination here or there. She's incredible. And it's just this really... It starts off kind of, uh, you kind can, of can't, can't figure out what it is. There's a little bit of an addiction plot line almost. And then once it settles into what it is, which is a story of memory and creativity and where passion and life comes from, it's a really moving, powerful film.
1: I agree. And, you know, it, it reminds me, it's such a courageous uh, story because he's telling exactly what you said. It's sort yeah. of reflective of his life and where he's at right now. Yeah. There's another movie out there this year, might pop up on somebody's list, possibly, Honey Boy, with, yeah, yeah. where Shia LaBeouf yeah. went and more or less wrote this whole therapeutic screenplay. More. And he wrote up, it in rehab. <laughs> it's insane. Do we know and, that? He literally wrote mm-hmm.
3: that in rehab in counseling sessions, Honey yeah. Boy. So it is not just more or less. It's, it, it's his life. I
1: feel those in in a weird way, these two films, in that, in that sense, are similar. I,
3: I have at least four films I would call autobiographical in my top ten. Yeah. So it's a crazy little trend now where we've got these
0: older filmmakers looking back at their lives.
1: Yeah, uh, great pick. Uh, one that I saw at Toronto. Loved yep. it.
0: All right, that swings it to me. At number ten, a bit of a gear shift here, but still a, a damn good movie. One I really enjoyed. Coming of age teen adventure uh, I'm starting out with Book Smart.
1: It's my number ten as well. <laughs> wow! You guys can join in.
0: <laughs> That's crazy, man. So uh, Caitlin Dever and Beanie Feldstein do basically super bad. I mean, it's yeah. it's
3: super bad. Super bad for girls is fair.
0: Yeah, super bad for girls is is fair. Uh, the adventure takes place all in one night. There's sex, drugs, rock, roll, and rock and roll and alcohol, but not too much of that. No, I don't know. It's it's very. Charming and um, it's
1: smart, it's witty, it's, it's spunky, you know. Spunky, it's
0: a good word, yeah. And the friendship there is genuine and it feels sort of honest because I think we've all had those wild nights that sort of cement a friendship, uh, especially in that transition from high school to uh to college.
1: So it's my number 10 as well. And Brian brought up a, a point of how his list is ever changing, you rewatch something. So I saw Book Smart, this is probably. The earliest film in in the year that's on my list. It hmm. must have came out in the spring. I I, I saw I it South remember.
3: by, so that's March. It came out in May. Yeah, so it, it was because right, we wanted it. I I program a film festival. I'll do another plug later, probably Chicago Critics Film Festival in May. We wanted it so badly, but it opened the Friday of our festival, ah. and we always take premieres. So, so it was May.
1: So I remember seeing it and, and loving it. Then I came on Cinema Jaw. I gave it the Four Jaw review. We talked about it. And then, you know, you see so many movies, you sort of forget. Well, lo and behold, thankfully, we get screeners every once in a while. Screener comes in. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch this one more time. It holds what up. happened was it holds up. now you're familiar with these characters. So yeah. the character who's so obnoxious, that guy who comes in where he's wearing the shirt with the picture on himself. He's great. Early on, the very first time you see it, I myself anyways as a viewer, was a little annoyed by him. I wasn't laughing right away. It took a little while to warm up with. Well, on a second viewing, as soon as that guy comes on screen, I'm dying. You're already I sympathetic. I love this yeah. guy, you know? It's and, us, and that's with all the characters in this movie.
3: It's also such a fast-paced film that on second viewing, you can appreciate the filmmaking, mm-hmm. the, her music choices, how she cuts things together, the pool sequence. The, the entire house sequence is great. Yeah. Yeah. Is really well put together, yep. especially for a debut director. And
1: there are little uh, eggs in there as far as like yep. things that I, I laughed at the second viewing that yep. I completely missed the first oh. time, small the, things. The
3: rewatch. Value is going to be through the roof. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. people are going to watch that for years. We
0: should yep. we should mention Olivia Wilde' uh, Her de- debut. Yep. Absolutely, uh, female directed. It's a great movie.
1: Absolutely, my number ten and Matt's number ten. Matt, what if we have the same exact? That would be 10?
0: amazing. <laughs> I guarantee you don't have my number nine. I guarantee Guaranteed. neither of you have All my right. number nine. Maybe not. haven't even seen it.
3: Speaking
1: of number nine, my,
3: I'm going. It's funny. I'm going to be the movie dork in the room, apparently. I'm going way off Booksmart, like as far off Booksmart as you can possibly go. My highest ranked documentary, uh, which is an, a, a Syrian film uh, called For Sama, which is a movie about a woman uh, working with a volunteer organization in Syria as everything goes to hell, as the crisis starts in Syria and she gets pregnant and has a child there. And makes a documentary for her child her child being named sama here's what happened when you were a baby here's the bombings we survived here's the torture we endured and it becomes not only an incredible piece of journalism uh, you are there in hospitals as children are dying as horrible things are happening but a commentary on you're going to ask yourself why is she staying there with a baby like so it becomes this sort of conflict of how far are we willing to go to defend a cause when there's something, there's precious life there at the same time. In other words, it it addresses that gray area. Mm. It is challenging, fascinating, my biggest cry of the year by some stretch, um, fearless. Do not watch it alone, do not watch it in a bad emotional state because like I said, it does not, she works in a hospital in an area that's being bombed constantly. So you will see a Mm. lot of horrible things. Mm. But it is incredible. Incredibly powerful filmmaking. It is journalism
0: of the highest degree. Highly recommend it.
3: It's
1: in my journal already to watch, but I have not seen so.
0: Good pick, man. Uh, I love a great documentary. All right, swings it back to me. And I couldn't get any farther away from... (laughs) (laughs) From my
3: Syrian documentary.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Disney also put the capstone on another big IP this year. uh, One of their... You know, second biggest, I would say. Some might argue they're very biggest. Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah how'd you guess? <laughs> uh, no, of course I'm talking about Avengers oh. Endgame. Uh, I, I don't think anybody doubted this was going to be on my list. It was a question of how high. I, I somewhat uh,
3: did. I don't think you had Infinity War. You didn't, because I would have yelled at you. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure you didn't. But anyway, kind of. continue. Go ahead.
0: Okay, so uh, does this one suffer for the same fate as uh, Star Wars? You know, is, is Disney able to sort of satisfactorily tie up all the loose ends and stick the landing? And, and I say, yeah, absolutely. In fact, even though um, Infinity War has a lot more of a gut punch with we see a, a bunch of the heroes being snapped away and turning into smithereens, uh, I think th- that Endgame is the superior movie. Oh, by far. I don't yeah. think it's even close. It, it, it satisfactorily wraps up it, it without too much fan service. There's plenty of fan service, but it's not like walloping you over the head. It's just a damn good movie. The time heist thing was engaging enough. Is it a little ridiculous? Yeah, but I think they believed it just enough to get it across the finish line for me in a big, big way. The best uh, adventure action superhero movie of the year by a landslide. So there you go.
3: I think it's a better film than Skywalker.
0: I think it is too. I hate to hear is it, that. Well, I hate to.
3: I'm not going to predict. <laughs> Obviously, it, it's higher is, it, is Skywalker higher? Uh, no. Okay. So there we go. Uh, I think Endgame is. I mean, we're talking a three-star film to a two-and-a-half-star film for me. But I think Endgame. I kind of hated Infinity War because it felt like half a movie. It felt like that snap was kind of a cheat. I did not like it. I found Endgame surprisingly satisfying. I think it. I, you, you asked, your big question about Skywalker was, is it satisfying? Yeah, This one is satisfying. Like it, so. it gives you this big meal and mm-hmm. goes here, eat this, and it's enjoyable. And it's really, but, but beyond that, I think it take, actually takes more risks in terms of character and performance than Skywalker does. No spoilers, Skywalker's not killing off their main characters as much as Endgame does. Mm-hmm. But I think Endgame, while we all knew some Avengers had to die in Endgame, I was impressed at the way they handled it. I was impressed at the way, the the gravitas, if you will, they gave it all. Same. Um, and I was, I I I think it works. I watched it twice, and I hated wow, Infinity twice. War. If you told me I was going to watch Endgame twice, I would have told you you were a liar. So I, there it's you good, go. It's good for me.
1: I was caught up in the uh, the fun of it all. Yeah. I went and saw it and, and, and enjoyed it. I'm not the biggest Marvel fan, as I've said, but yeah, I could appreciate it and had fun with it and loved just the moment that it got everybody excited into the theater. I'm a movie fan, and I love to see the excitement that people going to the theater in those, you know... An event. Huge. Yeah, I love that. Sure, but
3: there's going to be, and maybe someone should pitch me this piece because I'm too lazy to write it. There's going to be, why is Endgame's fan service better than Skywalker's fan service? Because they clearly are at a certain. Because okay, here Just thirty I, less years of well, of that's nostalgia. true. That's true. That's part of it for sure. There's also coming off what most critics thought was a good film, as opposed to what most critics thought was a bad film, uh, Infinity War and Last Jedi. Um, but if you look at your Rotten Tomatoes scores, we're like ninety-five on Endgame, and we're like fifty-five on Skywalker. So mm. that's a huge disparity. I when, think it'll come up. You think they'll both? Uh, you think the fifty-five will
1: come up? Oh, for a sure. little bit. I don't but think not it'll come not up that. Ton, high. No. Might hit 60. But my point of...
3: is they're really kind of trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So oh, how are how is one failing and one succeeding at trying to do the same
0: That's thing? That's an interesting question that one that I actually had written down for while we were discussing Star Wars. I didn't quite get to it. I,
1: sounds I, like a really good documentary for Disney Plus. Someone should feature pitch me. Right. There or you go. Take hey. Feature pitches. All right. Swings it into my number 9 and I go horror. Oh, for my number nine. I got a couple. I you got know? a couple. And uh, this was a film that uh, I, you know, bright colors and fields of happiness have never terrified me more, Matt. <laughs> but such is the case with Ari Aster's Midsummer or Midsommar, whichever you choose. Um, this is a film, and we've talked about it on Cinema Jaw, and I know me and Matt were, were both huge fans of this. But I love the pacing of this film. I love that when they first go on the trip to Sweden, we're, we're sort of laughing along with this group. That it's this trip where they're, they're taking drugs and they're, they're somewhat experimenting and having fun. And that slow transition from having fun to paranoid to being... To
0: absolute horror.
1: Horror.
3: It's a black comedy is, for most of its runtime. It I'm is. Sure.
1: And at least my screening, and I talked about this when we reviewed it the first time, was... I love the fact that it was laughter, 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 nervous laughter, and then at the end, sort of just like shock and horror. But me, even, it even scared the, the heck out of me. It of like, scared the heck out of me. Yeah. I was paranoid. I was literally paranoid in the theater. And that's a good sign. It had an effect on me.
3: Yeah. I mean, I like it. Uh, it's... I would... It's probably my 21 to 30. I think it's very strong. And I've seen, like I told you guys, 284 movies. So I think it's very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hereditary was a little higher for me. But he's definitely a major filmmaker. Like, uh, in the way he uses space and sound.
1: And, and Florence Pugh. Oh, great. Is just I
0: mean, incredible. This, this makes her. And, and you know, she's had a this few. This is
1: one of her best years. Well, her best year, for sure. She's right. going to be a
0: star. Yeah, she's going to be a star. She's in the new Black Widow film coming out next year. So, yeah. And I think, she, I think we're going to get to Oscar talk at some point in one of these two. I think
1: Little Women could not, should not be ruled out. She's mm-hmm. amazing in that. I, I
0: completely agree with you.
1: My number nine, Midsummer. I loved it. Into our eights we go. Uh, I'm almost
3: positive this isn't on either of your lists. And this is, this is one of those cases where I have to recognize, and I'm a little bit of an apologist, Uh, for this filmmaker because he's kind of changed my life and that's a filmmaker who had not made a movie for a very long time and now has made a lot of movies in the last 10 years. Well, I know it already. (laughs) Yeah, and that's Mr. Terrence Malick uh, whose new film A Hidden Life is a summation of his entire career. It's really as someone who loves Tree of Life and um, New World and Badlands and Days of Heaven and almost all of them except for Song to Song. This is everything he's worked towards thematically. It is about religious perseverance. It is about questioning something but then committing to it. Um, it is an experience that's designed to recreate the perseverance of its protagonist. In other words, it's a long movie. It's a long movie that you have to commit to. You can. We are in an era, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute, we're in an era where you most people are watching movies while they're playing Candy Crush on their phone, whether it's on Netflix or whatever else it might be. You cannot do that with a hidden life and experience what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to engulf you and exhaust you and emotionally drain you because that's what it's about. It's about a man who was a conscientious objector during World War II and refused to fight in World War II. Which was
0: not a popular stance in those days. in Germany,
3: in Austria. And um, yeah, of course not. And it killed him. I mean, no spoilers. You can tell. This is not a movie where you think, oh, he's going to make it out at the end. They're going to kill him for his beliefs. And it's about sticking to your beliefs and sticking to your integrity. And there's an amazing scene where there's a man painting religious murals on a church mm. and he that's talks, a great one. that's a great scene, mm-hmm. and he talks about the image of religion and the image of Jesus and how people look at images, but they don't really go deeper than that. They don't believe in things and I'm not a particularly religious person, but in Malik's films I find this deep questioning of our purpose and of our religion and Hidden Life embodies all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Is Malik terribly religious himself? He's,
3: he's very questioning of a lot of these kinds of things. I mean, he's one of our most, all of his films in my opinion, especially the recent ones, mm-hmm. Tree of Life, Night of Cups, To the Wonder is all about religion. For me, Tree of Life, I, we could do a whole podcast on Malik if you're ever interested. Tree of Life, To the Wonder and Night of Cups are about searching for meaning. Tree of Life is about searching for meaning in your past in your childhood, finding it like, how did I get here? It even goes back to the formation of the world to find out yeah. how did I get goes here. goes all the way back. It goes all the way back. To The Wonder is about finding it in religion and like where is my purpose, because there's religious characters and there's religious iconography. Knight of Cups is in Celebrity and Excess. Mm-hmm. It's about a character who lives in excessive life. And I, I feel like all these films are, Hidden Life captured. brings those all kind of together in a true story. A lot of people said, oh, hey, it's his best film since Tree of Life because it has a direct narrative. I'm one of those. Okay, so fine. (laughs) No, I get why people don't like the stuff between Tree of Life and Now because it's all very excessive and hard to follow. Mm It doesn't have a narrative through line. If you're thinking, hey, Brian's talking about a nonsense movie that I don't want to see. This one has a narrative through line. It has a story it has something to hold on to yep. more than his recent films. I,
1: I would actually recommend this to people who don't know Terrence Malick's work sure. and they want to jump in. I would actually say this is a really good starting off point because it's the easiest in some way to it's accessible. Latch onto yes, or the old
3: stuff. I so. mean, Days of Heaven and Badlands mm-hmm. are super accessible. But
1: when he goes, when I don't like Terrence Malick, they actually pop up on like my worst of the year. So, like, Night of Cups for me is, uh, like, I, uh, I mean, just absolutely painful. When I think sure. of the theater-going experience I had at Night of Cups is, like, just pain, pain. Like I said when I opened, I
3: understand that I'm an apologist for him. Knight of Cups was in my top 20. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but like, Song to Song is the only one that doesn't work because I think he's repeating some of the stuff I was talking about
1: earlier. But I do like A Hidden Life. It's so, I'm, I'm with you on your number eight.
0: All right, that swings it back over to me, and this is where I slot in the ninth movie from Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, The only reason I think this is in a higher pick for me, because I loved it, it's damn near flawless. From from one of the best uh, directors, certainly the best genre directors working today, period. Um, The only reason it is isn't higher is because I do think he's dipping his pen back into the Inglorious Bastards well, by rewriting history. Was it fun anyway? Hell yeah, it was. Did it feature some of the best performances of the year? Yes, it sure did. So I think that is why it's, it's, it's on my list. Uh, but that is also why it is just at number eight.
1: Number eight. Wow. Um, big fan as well. And I'm okay with him rewriting history, especially this time around.
2: It's fine. I don't I think he's going to do it. it.
1: He's not going to do it all the time like you're not. worried about. We're, we're okay with this one. Um, we talked a lot film. about
3: biographical filmmakers in my list, like your Malik's and a bunch of people did that this year. And to me, there's an interesting read of Hollywood that's a a late filmmaker film. In other words, he couldn't have made that movie when he was twenty five. Right. No. It's Good. got a poignant melancholy looking back more than almost any of his movies, I feel. If you watch it again, it's got a deep emotional undercurrent, especially in the final half.
2: It hit me. I, I yeah. talked about this. No, yeah, I, and I, that's I, been absolutely
3: since Jackie Brown, at least, mm-hmm. in all of his films.
2: Yep.
1: Yeah,
0: he definitely pulled back on that after Jackie Brown yep. and went more for the spectacle and, and violence. Yep. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh,
1: my number eight, speaking of emotional and speaking of hitting me, uh, saw it once in Toronto and saw it again in Chicago and both times tears coming down the uh, cheeks. I'm talking about Trey Edward Schultz' Waves. Hmm. I am so moved by this movie. And I I thought when I saw it in Toronto, I I actually thought this will probably end up being my movie of the year. It was that strong of an experience of coming out of it. and, And number one, the energy that bounces off this Movie, You just don't get energy. Literally, you can feel it coming off the screen. And, and a lot of it uh, I've mentioned is because of the, the music that is done by uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, but also the editing that Trey Edward Schultz used, the camera work that he uses, everything. You get uh, these close-ups of these characters and that the movie's told in, in more or less two parts. And some jawheads probably have not seen this movie. Um, it, it really shows the ripple effect that people in your lives, what their actions can have on you. And it also shows on the second part how strong you have to be to go against the tide to change things. And it, it is it's quite remarkable um, of a film. And the ending, again, people have heard me talk about this. I'm a huge Radiohead fan and they use a Radiohead song in there. And and like I was audible in the Sold. theater. I, I was like crying because um, it moved me so much. But the the acting is phenomenal here, and um, you I talk st- about
3: the use of Radiohead and mm-hmm. uh, not just the score, but there's a ton of music in the movie. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know it was once conceived as a musical, like a literal musical. Wow! And, and you can tell with there being so much music mm-hmm. in it, uh, like they they sing along to Kendrick, right, and, the they, and and other stuff like constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it a lot. It, it has diminished a bit for me in memory for some reason, and I need to watch it again. And there's been a lot of valid criticism of it, just for the record, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of its racial politics, without, spo- without spoiling anything. But it's racial politics that I think reflect the way the world sadly works today, again, without spoiling anything.
1: Also to note here, uh, Taylor Russell. Amazing. Complete standout here. Yeah. One and of the best
3: new performances of the year.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, fantastic. And Lucas Hedges is, and Lucas really, Hedges good. is really good. And Kelvin also.
3: Harrison, I don't know if Luce is on anyone's list. Kelvin Harrison has had a remarkable year. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be an incredible young actor. No, I like Waves. I think Schultz. I like Krisha, and I like It Comes at Night. He's, mm-hmm. he's three for three.
0: All right, I, big fan. I have a couple of quick questions because I have not seen um, his new one. Uh, I have not seen Waves. So, A, he seems to really get the dynamics of family relationships? Does that come mm-hmm. to bear? And B, oh, hell yeah. especially in Cretia, which is not a horror film. It is a horror film. It is a horror film. Yes. Uh, does he does he
3: keep uh, those no, beats? Very no, very different. Very okay. different, but it, there
1: is there is a beat of, of in some ways, horror.
3: Yes, it has a stressful editing, right.
1: is the way I would put it. I and watch, that lead-up to that stressful yes. editing is intense. I watched
3: the oh. first half hour again the other day because I was curious to see it again, and it is... Move. There's move. Constant mm-hmm. movement. Uh, almost too much, for the record. Uh, cameras either spinning or cutting. There's not a static shot in the film. I don't think he plays with aspect ratio. I don't know if you know that. He does. Yeah. Like it goes. Like, it, did you see it comes at night? How that one mm-hmm. shrunk. This one does that and mm-hmm. this and. I'm moving my hands, listeners, like yep. every direction. And
1: I like there were some times where there was nothing on screen, but just a couple of uh, colors in between some of the scenes. But is it a little too much? I liked it. I, is the I, aspect I ratio
3: playfulness? I guess when I've thought about it in memory and read some valid criticism of it, I've wondered if there's a stronger version of that film. Because, But here's what I like. He does all of that, but then he kind of settles in on Russell and Hedges and allows them the emotional... Mm -hmm. It's not as hectic in the back half as it is in the front half. True. It's meant to replicate... Well, it's meant to replicate the protagonist of each of those halves. Mm -hmm. So you get his kind of mindset and then her kind of mindset. But I... Still wonder if there's a less hyperactive version of that movie that's not better. And having said that, it's in my 11 to 20. Yep. So I think it's a very good film.
1: And like I say, emotionally moving. Yeah. Uh, both times I saw it.
3: So. In my 11 to 20 in a very good year. So it would have been in my top 10 in That year.
1: is my number eight. Into our sevens we go.
3: Was it me? Uh, a movie that I'd be surprised if it was on anyone else's list because I think I like it more than anyone else, and that's James Gray's Ad Astra. Uh, mm. I think Ad Astra is a very accomplished, very intellectual, on every level I like Ad Astra. I think technologically it looks amazing. Uh, I just watched part of it again the other day, and that opening sequence when he's falling from the crane is just insane. I put it on, and my kids came down, and they're like, what is this? Like, what are you looking at here? And I do think, I hate to get ahead of myself, but that kind of technical thing, will bring people to this movie, like, like they got brought to 2001 and they got brought to other films like this, of like, okay, what am I looking at here? And then once you dive into what that movie's about, I think Ad Astra is actually kind of, we talked about religious movies in our last one, I think Ad Astra has a lot of that. It's about going to find your creator, because he's going to find his father, he's going to find God who's up there and doesn't care about us anymore and might be trying to kill us. I think that's a lot of what Ad Astra is mm-hmm. about. So it's a film like 2001 that you can dissect and pull apart and figure out, and I think Pitt is phenomenal in it. Uh, I think he gave two of the best performances of his career this year, uh, and I really just kind of like, I like the score, I like the visuals, I like the performances, I like the themes, I like a film that I can dissect and pull apart. It's got a lot of what I'm
0: looking for. I think it runs out of steam about two-thirds of the way through, the, the last act When of that, he finds God. <laughs> but right before, and yes, once he finds God, as you're, as you're saying, I, I think the, the movie all the wind is out of the sails.
3: Spoilers: He finds God, and God
0: doesn't care, which yeah. I also find fascinating. Yeah, but God is also, I and mean, we're talking about uh, not really God.
3: But if we are, doesn't the movie get better?
0: No, <laughs> it does. <laughs> no, I really Our God like this. doesn't
3: care about I'm, us anymore. I'm not gonna lie. We're for
0: straws, I don't think that I'm makes it go at all.
3: But it's, I'm not reaching. It's embedded in. Oh, All yeah, they're,
0: they're practically slapping you over the face with it, like a, like a folding chair in a wrestling match. Man. Well, well,
3: Most people, when I well, I put that in my review, and people are like, you're crazy, it's just his dad. I'm like, he's going to find a creator who created him and then left behind and now may not care anymore about climate change and other things. It is very clearly a God
0: analogy. Well, here you can make this analogy. He dies uh, in the opening shot when he's fallen off Possible. the Possible. It's a Jacob
3: Lad- Ladder the situation. Yeah. I like that idea.
1: <laughs> but anyway, technically I love it. Pitt, I love. I love everything about I it. I do think that uh, I was a little hard on this movie I, I didn't hate it but i i thought after i saw it and i think i said this when we reviewed it give it a couple years and i rewatch it oh. it's gonna be one of those movies and we'll be like whoa what was i thinking this is and great i <laughs> am fully convinced
3: of that yeah. 10 years from mm. now no one will claim they didn't like it the first time
0: <laughs> i will guys i'm All gonna right, stick to my guns you. on You've this already one turned
3: on last jedi i don't buy you
0: it's it's <laughs> it's down for me it's on it's like in my top 30 though uh, all right, that swings it back to me, and this is where I put in the, the return of the great Eddie Murphy with oh. Dolomite is oh, my glad name. Glad
1: to hear this oh. came up on your list. Nice.
0: Uh, one of the best comedies of the year, and I think more so than that, because it's not like a, a super laugh-out-loud, slap-in-my-knees-every-three-seconds comedy, joke-a-minute kind of thing. It's It's just a great story. Uh, about, you know, of course, I, I watched Dolomite when I was a kid, but I was not familiar with the story of Rudy Ray Moore and all the th- the stuff he went to to get t- to Dolomite. Um, so it was fascinating to learn about that. And then also, man, it was just great to see Eddie Murphy again. I mean, yeah. that more than anything else, like Eddie Murphy back as the real Eddie Murphy. And it feels like he might be here to stay at least for a little while. Can't
3: so. underestimate that. Like the Idea, people of our generation. I'm a little older than both of you, I think, but getting Comic Eddie back is a—it's like a jolt. It's like an adrenaline just to see him swearing and laughing and doing doing that laugh, yeah, and that smile. It's like, oh my god, I can't believe. I mean, I can't wait for SNL. It'll probably have aired by this. Time this goes right. on. There's a lot riding on that. I'm very excited. No pressure. I no pressure. I don't
1: watch Saturday Night Live live. I'll everyone is going to watch it. I'm watching it. it live. I think everyone
3: I might too. is going to. I, I told my wife, we're not going out Saturday. Yep. We're not doing anything. We're going to be there. And we DVR or Hulu. Yeah. It or whatever. Is it, it's going
1: to be on Hulu, yes? The next day. Okay. Yeah. That's like You got to be there. Yeah. <laughs> good pick, though. I'm glad that one came up. Um, yeah, it's I, a good movie. I, I agree. I think it's a little long. It's so like almost two hours. I, I, I didn't
0: feel it like uh, I didn't get bored at any point. No, that sure, was... it's
3: good. But we're at that point where we're like, why is it not in my
1: top 10? Because it's a little mm, long. Man. I like it though. Fair enough. My number seven is maybe the most fun I had all around at the movie theater this year. I love the plot, I love the script. Oh, I know what this is. I love the characters. Damn it, Matt, I love Knives Out. I knew it. I knew exactly. When you say an all-around
3: picture, sorry, go ahead. When you say an all-around picture, it's gotta be Knives Out.
1: We talked about it in our review. I said it may have been uh uh the best Who Done It movie, murder mystery movie of all time. And I go I I'll even say this for what Knives Out set out to do, it did it perfectly. I don't I, I looked at the movie the second time we saw it, I said, yeah. I don't know what I would change, and that's a great sign. I love everything about the movie. I love the way the reveal is done. I love the way it sort of played with the genre. I love the characters involved, especially Daniel Craig. Yeah, the writing was it's a great good. Turn it was for a Daniel smart Craig. movie. I, I was engaged in trying to figure out how it was all going to end. Sure. and I had fun. I laughed. I enjoyed myself. It subverts <laughs> what it. you
3: expect it to be too, much oh. like Last Jedi did. It. Well, uh, a paper could be written on what they have in common in terms of, like, your legacy doesn't mean anything. Heroes can come from any part of society. Last Jedi and Knives Out. But we'll get back to that another time. <laughs> Brian, if you uh, write that essay, I will read it. <laughs> um, but in the sense that, that that Last Jedi subverts a lot of things, so does this one. You find out what happened to him half an hour in. No spoilers. Right. And so then it becomes an entirely other film. Yep. Like, you, like a, a film about, like, maybe I don't want her to be <laughs> caught. It's, again, we're half an hour in so we can spoil that. Yep. Um, but also then a, wait, this doesn't all quite make sense, film, like, like the donut yep. hole yep. analogy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. And, uh, <laughs> <Donut hole. laughs> and as you said, in terms of like judging a film on what it intends to do, that's a, I think, overlooked critical belief. Like there used to be a time, I think Ebert did this a lot, where does a film succeed at what it sets out to do? If it's a comedy, does it make me laugh? If it's a horror film, does it scare me? Knives out, Completely succeeds at what it attempts to do. Hundred percent. Like, yeah. it is. I mean, that's. I th- believe that's why Roger would give a film like Speed four stars because mm-hmm. Speed succeeds at what it set out to do. And I, Knives Out is a very similar situation where, like, like you said, there's nothing wrong with this. And I would pay for 19 more Benoit Blanc films tomorrow,
0: <laughs> dude. Me I too.
3: I would love it for the rest of his life. It, I want him to be 90. I want him to be Christopher Plummer age. doing his 20th (laughs) Benoit Blanc film.
0: Yeah, like we forget that he was Bond. Uh, Exactly, that's what I want. Yeah, I want I
3: Benoit Blanc to be his name,
1: and I want that cop who was such a fan of the series that knew Noah of Segan. All <laughs> we I all know that, that
3: that's Ryan's guy. like best friend from childhood. Is it really? Yeah, Noah Segan oh, is I Ryan Johnson's like best friend from childhood. They, he's been in all of his films. Noah Segan is literally in all of his films. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, and this is his biggest part, but he's got like cameos in all the other ones. <laughs> yeah, Noah and Ryan, and he's a great guy. They're old friends.
1: All right, that was my number seven. Here we go. Our last pick of this episode, our number six picks. Brian, what do you guess? I it think
3: there? the highest-grossing film in my top ten, believe it or not not Endgame, but a movie that I feel like people got a little divisive about because his last film was such a massive success that they ignored the craft of Us. Interesting. I feel like Us is a masterful piece of filmmaking. I feel like- Glad this came up. You talk about a film with every element and every choice carefully considered, the use of music, the use of lighting, the use of editing- Lupita's performance, which I believe might be the best of the year. Mm -hmm. Everything about us works for me. Uh, And then once you dive deeper, like so from a craft level, it's unimpeachable, in my opinion. You want to argue about if it holds together plot-wise, fine. But from a craft level, it is unimpeachable. And then once you dive into its themes and unpack its social context and its racial context, I find it endlessly fascinating Um, and could talk about it pretty much more than any movie this year.
1: Well, when did this come out? Because this is... February. A okay, February. So no, this March. is February. March. March. He likes these early releases. Same with Get Out, right? And, yeah, yeah, And now this one. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. It's I've only seen it the one time oh, at the Oh, it holds up
3: so well.
1: And I walked out of there thinking it was absolutely excellent. We, we dissected it pretty well. And the whole idea of the hands across America. Yeah. And I, I remember talking about how that just wouldn't exist anymore. Sure. Um, this idea of helping the less fortunate. And... I, to me, that's a lot what I got out of uh, us as well, was this theme that nowadays, that's all gone. We're not tethered to the less fortunate anymore. We're, we're in a that's, world nowadays that literally says, I don't care about that anymore. That's only
3: one aspect of a deep film that's about an underbelly of a country, about a alternate version of us that we don't necessarily like or want to be around, but that controls us to a certain degree, that we control and vice versa. Um, I joked when I saw it at South By that I loved that both letters were
0: capitalized. It's United States as much as it is us. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just dial the love for us back a notch. Oh, I how dare it. you? I loved how it. How dare you? I think Get Out is by far That's fine. the superior film. I'm, That's not, fine. I'm not having that competition. He's we don't need to put them against right, us. Right. Okay, fine. That's fair. That's fair. We don't necessarily do. I, I also want to say Elizabeth Moss in this. Great. Oh, Fantastic. Okay,
3: every performance. Winston Duke in this. Great.
0: No arguments. The fact they each have their own unique little weapon
3: is is fun. Okay, so how many horror filmmakers operating on this level can work with performance as well as Jordan can? Like, every cast member in this movie is incredible. Uh, Lupita, I think, if Lupita doesn't get an Oscar nomination, I might not watch. Her dual (laughs) performance is insane. I insane, love it, I especially agree. when you watch it again, her physicality. We underestimate physicality as critics and moviegoers. We, we love the big monologues and the big emotional the earnest teary. sequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and we're going to get into Oscar stuff later or maybe in the next podcast. We love impressions. We love someone who can do Winston Churchill or Judy Garland or whatever it takes. But what she creates from whole cloth twice is unreal, I agree. just in physicality.
1: I agree. It's definitely one of the best of the, of the year, no doubt. Yep.
0: It's interesting. All right, back to me, and this is where I throw in uh, Knives Out, as a matter oh. of fact, at number six. I think we already kind of hit the high points on this. I, I don't it's know what else good. I can add. That's it, in my
3: 11 to 20, for the record.
0: It's, it's fun to see Chris Evans turn
3: heel. Oh, and, and great. And I believe that... Uh, we're going to spoil things. It's fine. I think that's part of the twist. We, when he goes off with her... We think, oh, yeah, he's kind of the bad guy, but it's also Captain in America, so he's gotta be kinda okay. Right, we really like, want to we, like exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, we've seen Tony Collette and Michael Shannon, who've played villainous characters, and Jamie Lee Curtis, who played villainous characters before. But right. Chris Evans, that's Captain F in America. Mm-hmm. Like, he's gotta at least be kinda okay. And then when it looks like he's kinda okay, we're like, okay,
0: we're gonna go yeah, with we this. Yeah, I bought that, yeah. like, all glided totally. sinker. Absolutely. All the way
3: through. And it's wonderful use of casting to impact plot. True. True. Yeah. Nice.
0: You nice. don't see that enough. No, you don't.
1: All right. I'm going to go for a bold bold one here at number six. I don't think anybody has it on their list. Some may disagree with me for having it here. But I love the Safety brothers' new film collaboration with Adam Sandler, Uncut Gems.
0: This is interestingly high, man. It's, I, I, no, it's not an uncommon pick. I mean, it's on okay. well, a lot of people. Okay, I wasn't sure. I wasn't note.
1: sure. So um, we saw the Safety brothers work with Robert Pattinson yeah. in Good Time. And if you, Jawheads, you guys have seen this movie, you get this idea of, of the, the pacing of what you're going to see in Uncut Gems. It's just times 10 yeah, in yeah. Uncut Gems. Yep. They've amped it up. But it is basically that same story of uh, someone doing some no good, and this time he's working on uh, the diamond circuit or whatever they call it, jeweler. diamond. He's a jeweler. Yeah, Jewelers jeweler row. Yeah. yeah, jeweler row. And he, he basically meets Kevin Garnett, who comes into a shop, is infatuated with this uh, rare gem that, that he is in possession of. The point
3: of. needs to be made that he's a gambler. And so he's a gambler, me- meeting right. an NBA player has a different... Huge. Yeah.
1: And so what, what unfolds then is a sinister... Uh, Let It Ride, if you've ever seen that movie with... well uh, oh, that's
0: an interesting comparison, actually. Richard Dreyfuss, that was a Dreyfuss Let Dreyfuss It Ride. One, yes. Yeah,
1: so it's, it's one of these where it, he can just never have enough, right? He's always going to put it on the next bet. So from there, one bad thing happens after another. Even when a good thing happens to him, it turns into a bad event. And the stakes just kept, keep getting worse and worse I can't say enough good things about Adam Sandler. I loved him here amazing. in the role. He's amazing. Uh, Kevin Garnett for an He's athlete. really good. Turned. <laughs> really good. Needs to act in this movie. He can't just be Kevin Garnett. Shockingly good.
3: And Lakeith is underrated too. The, the, Lakeith Stanfield
1: yes, is underrated. and, and just the pacing of it, the way it builds that tension. Yep. It, it's just a fun ride, and it had my palms sweating, and yep. that's always a good sign. When I'm in the theater and I, I'm, I'm moving my hands around, I'm like, oh, man, what's going to happen here? That's a good sign this is one of the best movies of the year.
3: It's very good. It's in my 11 to 20, um, and I need to see it again. I saw it at Toronto. Uh, Maybe you did too. um, On like day seven of five movie a day movies. So I want to see it again to appreciate it more. But it's a movie I've thought about a lot, especially the way it functions. It's uh, you compared it to Let It Ride. It's a '70s movie. It's Dog Day Afternoon. It's Lumet. It's it's those wow. movies that 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 it's those movies that had New York as a sweaty, awful place to yeah, be, yeah. which we haven't seen in a long time. New York for the last 20 years has been Giuliani's Times Square, and, where everything's great.
1: And what I've realized too is is Adam Sandler is great getting punched. He's one of those guys when you punch well, an Adam f- Sandler, it's hilarious. I'm he's a s- great physical
3: actor. Really great. I'm gonna
1: say he's a legitimately
3: great actor. I like, agree. I really <laughs> think he is. So
0: this goes back to a quote I have. made made on this show, in 10 years, we will be saying Oscar winner Adam Sandler. Give it a decade and I think he's got one I'm in not, his...
3: I'm not sure because I'm not sure he's going to take the crowd-pleasing part. I hate to... Well, again, maybe we might get to the Oscar I, stuff later. Right. But they often go for your Winston Churchill's and your Judy Garland. I don't see him doing one of those.
0: We'll see. So. I don't know. That's my prediction. But I don't. it's definitely not uncut gems. I think the, the Safdie brothers' uh, use of color in this movie yeah. just phenomenal yep. but I think it might be a little predictable where things go is kind of like well, there was circling no surprises drain. you know where the drain
3: is right and it's but it's experiencing the circle of the drain um so much fun but I I would push I, back against your point because for it not to be predictable it needs to end differently without spoiling anything in other words I like that it's a circling of the drain that then without spoiling anything goes down the drain So
0: I think you... I guess I wanted to like it more.
3: Mm. I feel like a surprise ruins the veracity of it, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. I feel like if you do a left turn or a right turn, then it kills the believability of the story we're watching.
0: That
1: could be. And the performance he's giving.
0: I think maybe I need to watch it again.
3: Yeah, I do too. And I really liked it a lot the first time, but I'm looking forward to watching it again.
1: All right, that was our 10 through 6. What we're going to do is take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Brian Tallarico on his best film of the decade. That's a little teaser, Jawheads, because we have recorded our best of the decade. Uh, Plus, Brian versus Matt in Star Wars Actors Movie Trivia. Stick with us, guys.
2: Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Always with
1: you, what cannot be done. Hear you nothing that I say.
2: You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try.
1: No, try not. Do.
0: Or do not. There is no try.
1: The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy.
0: I'm very competitive. In one instance, I had my cousin killed, In another, I had my rival whacked. So pretty, my husband swings on trees for me. So popular, I left my gang. I'm a murdered actress who doesn't die. Is that clue a little blurry? How ironic. Who am I? CinemaJaw is sponsored by Jiffy On Demand.
1: Jiffy On Demand?
0: Yeah, that's right, Ryan. Wouldn't it be great if you had sort of an Uber for anything you need done around the house? You need an electrician. You need a plumber. You need an HVAC guy. Maybe you just need a light bulb changed or something broke. That sounds lovely. It is. It's fantastic. It's just as easy as calling an Uber, and all of their workers are vetted and licensed. These are guys that are trusted. And if for some reason something doesn't work out, Jiffy has a 100% satisfaction guarantee, Ryan.
1: So let me get this right. Jiffy On Demand is an app on the phone?
0: Yeah, it is. You just go to jiffyondemand.com or your app store, whichever phone you may use, Android or Apple, and download the app. It's, it's pretty easy. And if you use the offer code CINEMAJAW, you get $25 bucks off your
1: first Jiffy job. Wow. Save $25 by using the code CINEMAJAW? Yeah. I love it. What cities can we use this in?
0: You can use it in Toronto, Ottawa, Boston, and Chicago, Ryan. I love Jiffy on Demand. You should. You need the help. And we thank them for their support.
1: To get a treat. And we are back on Cinema Jaw hanging out with Brian Tellerico of Rogerebert.com. Again, for the jawheads, Brian, that want to follow you, read your reviews, your tweets, all that good stuff. Where should we guide him?
3: Twitter, Brian Tellerico B-R-I-A-N- Others underscore T-A-L-L-E-R-I-C-O or Rogerebert.com or Vulture.com.
1: We were teasing Right before we went to break that, me and Matt have already recorded our best of the decade episode, Mm -hmm. which is a lot. And when you're a film critic and and you see so many movies, you know this is coming at the end of the decade. So it's probably been on your radar for six months, you've been thinking.
3: We did a few features at RogerEbert.com if people want to read them. We did a site composite top 25 of the decade where we took all of our critics, which includes major names like Glenn Kenny and Matt Zoller sites and took all of our top 25s and kind of composited them into one list. And the composite list is the same number one as mine. Do we want that
1: now? Your number one film. Get a load of this, Jawheads. Brian Tallarico's number one film of the decade.
3: If you listened to the 6 through 10 part of this podcast, you might be able to guess. Hmm. Uh, it's Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life, which is wow. a film that I have a nearly religious experience with. I think it is transcendent in the way it addresses history and memory and legacy. And the filmmaking of it is flawless and the acting is flawless. And it is a film that when I watch it, we are in such an era of distraction where even someone like me who works as hard as I do can't help but be distracted by Twitter and my phone and other things. When I watch Tree of Life, I nothing, everything else fades away. It is a film that I find myself just engrossed in. I think what a lot of people don't want to recognize is that critical taste can be personal taste. Uh, Tree of Life came out right when I was having a child, and it's about fatherhood, and it's about parenthood, and it's about boys, and it's about life, and it's about legacy, and it's about all these things, and it will always be embedded in me in a very personal place in my heart. It was our site number one because it was my number one. It was Matt Zoller's sites number one. And it was one of the last films that Roger Ebert gave four stars and Mm. admired. So nice. It is, in my opinion, I'll throw out that I love Inside Llewyn Davis and Mad Max Fury Road and a couple other movies. But Tree of Life, it's not even really close.
1: All right. Mm. Jawheads, a little tease there for you. We got our best of the decade coming out. See if Tree of Life pops up on our list. Hey, before we get to trivia, we don't want to forget about producer Pat And what his favorite movie of the year was. Let's open up that fish tank.
2: Um, So I've talked to Matt and Ryan a little bit, and I actually haven't seen too many movies this year. Um, So not a ton to base it off of, but um, probably based on the ones that I have seen, my favorite would be Joker. That's fair. I like it. Yeah.
0: Nice. Definitely. Incidentally, Brian. Uh, speaking of films from 2011, *Tree of Life*. My favorite film that year was *The Muppets*. <laughs> uh, is it the
3: still
1: *The Muppets*? Do you still think *The
3: Muppets* life. is better than *Tree of Life*? I whoa whoa whoa! Well, this is I did not ago. say
0: that then, and I'm not saying that now. Uh, truth be told, I've caught up with some Malik, but *Tree of Life* is not one of them. So oh. I know. I All right, hold that. on. You you've hey. had this I have religious experience.
1: Multiple All editions done. I can bring yeah. you. Okay. Bring it on. Hey, let's close
0: the fish and I like tank. the Pat, was that everything?
1: Was that the only thing you had to mention was Joker? Yeah. All right, get back in I think there. we might be
3: getting to Joker later. So.
1: All right. Guys. Yeah. Let's end this part one of our top ten with some trivia. We reviewed Star Wars, Last Skywalker. So it got me thinking, Star Wars actor trivia. I'm thinking of everything in, involved in Star Wars. So if they've been an actor in Star Wars, they may be an answer here.
3: But it's not actual Star Wars trivia. It's other films from Star Wars You'll actors. You'll see how it goes. You'll see how well, it I'm goes. I'm hopeful it's the former.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. Now, Brian, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first. Let Matt K. go first. I will,
0: I will choose to kick.
1: He Defer. punts. <laughs> he punts. All right. And remember, there are steals. And if you get hung up on any question, one trip into the fish tank for Pick Me Up Pat. He does have clues to all the questions. Matt, Matt question number one. For the record,
0: one. I wasn't saying that Muppets is better than Tree of Life. No, I get so, it. Okay. That's, that's what you're saying.
1: Matt, question one. Carrie Fisher. Now, they start off easy. Carrie Fisher starred in one movie with John Belushi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Name it. Blues Brothers. One to nothing. Question two, over to Brian. Brian, Harrison Ford starred in 1993's The Fugitive, who played the U.S. Marshal Samuel Gerard.
3: That's almost easier. Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs>
1: Question it three. Is almost easier, Over yeah. to Matt Kay. Matt, episode eight actress Laura Dern starred in Jurassic Park in '93. Who played her partner in the film, oh, Alan come Grant? On.
0: Oh, man. Jesus, come on. No, stop.
1: We're still in the softball. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Who played Alan Grant in yeah, yeah, Jurassic Park? Yeah, yeah. I can't Park? think
0: of his name. Oh, my God. Brian is intimidating me. <laughs> it's not fair. Uh, yeah.
1: If you could stand off the chair and sit back I mean, down, Brian. Can we, can't I get the Jeff Goldblum quiz? Jeff Goldblum. No. Brian, you get a chance for a steal here and then take a 2-1 lead. Samuel Neal. Nobody remembers we that. We also would have thing. accepted Sam Neal. It is two to 2-1, Brian. Question four is over to him. Lupita Nyong'o starred in the film Us earlier this year. Who directed it? Jordan Peele. Uh, <laughs> Again, three we're, to one. we're in like that. Yeah. Let's get a little Second bit of here. Second grade. Question five over to Matt K. Right. Matt, episode eight actor Benicio Del Toro has starred in only one film with Sean Penn. Ooh. Came out in 2003. Name the film.
0: Man, I forgot that Benicio Del Toro was in Star Wars. He's got the
3: best line. Blippity, bloppity, bloop. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Sean Penn. Um,
0: 2003, you said?
1: 2003. Benicio Del Toro in a Sean Penn film. Name it.
0: That's a tough one. I don't man. think I know this either, to be honest. I mean, is, uh, Mist- Mystic River was in the... Was that in the 90s? Benicio's not in that. No? Uh, milk. <laughs> <laughs> it's a total guess. I
1: don't know. <laughs> um, Incorrect. It's currently three to one. Brian, Benicio Del Toro has starred in one film with Sean Penn. came out in 2003. Name it. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> <laughs> we were looking for twenty-one grams. Oh, of course, yes, yes, twenty-one yes, yes. grams. Yes. All right. It's three to one. Question six. Over to Brian. Brian, name the Star Wars actress who has starred in Mission Impossible Three, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and Waitress. Carrie Russell. Matt would not have gotten that one. <laughs> Four to one, I, I Brian. I the fifth on that. The game's already over, but question seven is over to Matt K. Matt, name the Star Wars actor who has also appeared in the films Arrival, Panic Room, and The Butler. Oh my God, is it Arrival, mm-hmm. Panic Room? Is it Oscar Isaac? The Butler. Brian, you got a chance for a steal here. I'm struggling, too. Um, Star Wars actor. Also appeared in Arrival, Panic Room, and The Butler. Paulie Shore. (laughs) Nobody's using a lifeline. Somebody could have used a lifeline here. I got
0: it. Was that the eighth question?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was seven. We were looking for Forrest Whitaker, who was in In Rogue One. He was in a oh. Arrival. He was the uh, general. Oh, panic room. He was one of the crooks. I thought of him. And he was the butler in The Butler. I thought of him, but for some reason didn't. Mm, there we go. All right, it's four to one. Again, game over. I picture him in Arrival. Last question of the game is to Brian. Brian Billy D. Williams. i Most heard of him. famous role is Lando. Sure, and or Cold, Cold Forty Five commercials. Yeah. Yes. After that, though, he made this football movie that also starred James Caan. Name it. You do have a lifeline if you need it. Sure, give me a lifeline. Lifeline, into the fish tank we go. This
0: is also a Sandler remake, I believe.
1: Pat, what was the name of that James Kahn, Billy D. Williams film?
2: Uh, So your clue for this question is, if you get this right, I will sing you a song. Brian's song. Brian's
3: song, it is. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. No, about. no you're Sing thinking the, Longest Yard, which yeah, longest came show. to me at first, and then I was, when he started it, I was like, was Billy Dee Williams in Longest Yard? And then he went con instead mm. of Burt Reynolds.
1: Brian wins this one five to one. If it came down to a tie, we call it a jawbreaker. This question specifically would have been to Brian. Brian, better prequel when it comes to Star Wars end the debate, episode one or episode two? Better prequel. Oh, episode one. For sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Attack of the Thank Clones you. is episode, uh, garbage. Episode yeah, is. one
0: or two or three? One.
1: Yes. Really? Absolutely. I told you. Shocking. I told you. <laughs> You're right with me. It's the one, best of the prequels. Three, two is yep. how those go. I agree. I'm right three, with one, Brian. Three, one, two.
3: Clones is
1: garbage. I
0: hate every
3: minute.
1: Told of you, that. man. Dude, K, dude, I tried to tell you. Phantom Menace is a great lightsaber oh,
0: battle wrapped in a turd. We're comparing bad movies. But clones is the
3: only one I have actively hated, Mm -hmm. like actively hated.
1: The real jawbreaker was this. Real jawbreaker was this. Age of Sam Neill, closest to Matt. You didn't even know who it was. No,
0: I know who he is. I just couldn't think of his name. Uh, Sam Neill. Well, I mean, Jurassic Park was in the '90s, and he was already, I would say, in his mid to late 40s in that film. So, uh, let's say.
1: 65. Lock him in at 65, Brian. You got so to guess. That's going to be my guess. Are we playing prices,
3: right, rules? I'll go 66.
1: <laughs> Give it to Brian. He's 72. Oh, there you go. 72. Wow. For he's Samuel. even older. Yeah. yeah, he looks good. Wow, he does. Brings us to the end of a great job. Just part one, Matt K. Brian, will you come back next week? I guess so. This is going to be a blast, man. Yeah. We still got to get to our, our, our number ones of the year. I can't wait. All right, Pat. We got to thank Pat, producer Pat. It was a great time, as always. Yes. Also, thanks to Brian for just part one. We're going to thank him heavily next week yes. when he we comes back. and a heap on the praise. <laughs> we also got to thank our sponsors.
0: Yeah, thanks to Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get great sponsors like if them. If you
1: want to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so, Jawheads, is by leaving us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And
0: while you're there, please click subscribe. One extra button helps us out tremendously.
1: Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm
0: Matt K, and, and keep on jawing about the movies. movies. Oh, oh,